the business on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. You see it, we help you do it. AIB, for the life you're after. Well, from the world of AI to something a lot more tangible, we're joined by a woman who has spent her whole life immersed in the entertainment industry, from clubbing and circuses to concerts and theatres. It all began with an enterprising childhood and an early immersion in Dublin's alternative nightclub scene while still at school, but living away from her folks. Those nights sowed a tiny seed for what would later become This Is Pop Baby, a theatre company that has ignited stages around the world. Co-founder Jenny Jennings joins me now. Jenny, you're very welcome to the programme. Good morning, Richard. Lovely to be here. Yeah. Now, from an early stay, an early age, really, you were obsessed with theatre and performing. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I was obsessed with two things. Firstly, I was obsessed with theatre, performing and events. And secondly, I was absolutely obsessed with making money. (laughs) So I was one of those kids. Who, You're not alone in that. Yeah, by the so way. I was one of those kids who, uh, you know, would knock on the doors in the neighbourhood at least once a month, you know, offering to do a Bob a job or looking for some kind of sponsored something or, you know, selling cakes or uh, selling perfume that I had made from roses from from uh, the missionaries down so the road. So was it homemade cakes and homemade perfume? Homemade cakes and homemade perfume and the That's perfume really memorably I mean it wasn't it wasn't you know stealing roses to make perfume wasn't the best endeavour you know but nobody seemed bothered by it. My mother um brought home she was a nurse and she brought home urine sample and blood sample bottles <laughs> that I put the perfume put in <laughs> and sold it around the neighborhood for 10p and everybody everybody was delighted um 10p yeah yeah and it worked you you managed to make a few quid out of it and... yeah yeah and uh, this overlapped with you know I would run events in the neighborhood whether it was discos or little shows or little dance performances with my friends and my sisters um yeah even even in school you, you you were very interested in the whole idea of plays and shows and performance yeah so um in fourth class i proposed to my teacher that instead of doing the usual uh christmas show that i could write a play for christmas so it was called santa gets fired and, you know, at the time I was very inspired. It's got a bit of an edge to it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time I was really inspired by, you know, the likes of Monty Python or the Two Ronnies or, um, or um, yeah, an, a, a number of influences like that. Not the nine o'clock news and alternative sort of shows, the comedy like that. Yeah, like alternative. So, so what happened in the play? Was it an edgy Yeah, it was kind of a surreal, musical, satirical, you know, jumble of a play. It was very entertaining. I played Charlie Hawhey. Right. And my song was about, my song was about, there was this salmonella crisis that was happening in the news at the time. So Charlie Hawhey was the only person who could get salmonella-free eggs. So yeah, there was a. It was very successful, and on the back of that, uh, in the following year in school, uh, that teacher invited me, commissioned me, to write a play based on the Battle of Bano Bay. So that was called A Stitch in Time. It wasn't very historically accurate. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> 
it was it doesn't matter. It was uh yeah, similarly, you know, influenced by by the influences that I that I mentioned before and yeah, had a number of kind of pop culture references. And you it. mentioned there about Monty Python and various things you would have seen on television. What about going to the theatre? Did you go to the theatre much? Yeah, so um, one of my earliest memories of going to a professional theatre piece was Les Miserables and The Point. Uh, I can't remember how old I was. I was young enough. But obviously, you know, a production of that kind of scale and grandeur and impact has a, had, a, had a very profound effect on me, you know, with the big revolve and, you know, the very extensive cast. And my dad then took me to a production of Hamlet in the Riverbank Theatre. And that, you know, that was, that had a huge effect on me. That was... uh, In what way? Just the visuals, the script, the drama? Yeah, I didn't really understand it word for word, you know, as you don't when you are first introduced to Shakespeare. Um, But the drama of it... Uh, the story of it, uh, yeah, had a, had you know was very very inspiring. Even school plays that I saw. Uh, my older sister, her class did a production of Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, and I'll never forget it. So yeah, very pretty obsessed with both theatre and making money. <laughs> so during those uh, early years and childhood years, you had a lot of fun. You were. Mm exploring your own imagination and creativity. Teenage years were, were a bit tougher. Your, your your folks separated? Yeah, so it was a very disruptive and uh, discombobulating separation. I actually scattered our family to the four winds, including myself. So uh, I had a little bit of, of money in the bank uh, from a car crash claim from, from years previously. And I used that to, to actually leave home while I was still at school. So I had a I had a lovely little flat in Rat Mines, you know, which was all very exciting and, you know, hint so what, of... What age, what age were you? Though? I was 17. 17? Yeah. So great for um, exploring a bit of a new phase in your life. Yeah. But probably not great for school. Or were you very disciplined or were you the opposite? No, no, it didn't really work out very well for me <laughs> in terms of school, as you can imagine. Uh, it was an exciting time, but, you know, it was also still uh, a, a traumatic time being away from my family. Um, but no, I uh, didn't get anything on my CAO wish list, um, but but managed to kind of carve away despite that. And during that time, you, you would have, expl- you know, you were 17, you were living on your own, you had a level of independence, you would have been exploring... Dublin and exploring nightclubs, exploring exploring nightlife. Yeah, it was the mid nineties in Dublin, so it was a very exciting time in in Dublin. You know, Ireland really felt like it was opening up to the world. Um, we had Italia ninety in nineteen ninety. Uh, we had homosexuality decriminalised, so there was a lot of kind of exciting clubs that. Um, were were kind of opened up beyond a very underground queer scene. And, you know, there was the Riverdance intermission. All of these moments served to kind of build this bigger picture of a really exciting, vibrant city. And at 16, 17 year old, years old, you know, that city felt very much mine. But also a massive 
distraction, a massive sort of play centre for, for a 17-year-old with that kind of independence. What, what was life like being living on your own at that age and still going to school? I mean, would you sort of set the alarm clock for school and say, no, I don't think I'll... No, 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 I did, I did, I did, I did I go to school? Uh, yeah, no, I did go to school, but uh, I wasn't very consistent, I would say. Um, at one point, I remember walking into a maths class and I was like, oh my God, I am so behind in maths because I didn't understand a word that happened uh, in the class. And as I, I was walking out, a pal said to me, oh, Jenny, I didn't know you did applied maths. So I was in the <laughs> wrong class. <laughs> People have nightmares about stuff like that 30 years later, yeah. but you were actually living it. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, no. School wasn't a huge priority, I suppose, for me in that moment. But you did do, uh, after leaving Surrey, you did do a course. Your mum lined you up for a journalism course. Yeah, despite the fact that myself and my mum weren't speaking at the time. I was in Germany. I was away, uh, you know, living and working for a summer abroad in Germany when I got my leaving cert results, uh, which were disastrous. And I came back and a couple of weeks later, my mum just picked me up in the car, drove me to senior college, Ballyfermot. She said, I've applied for a, a, a course in print journalism for you. Here's the interview, gone. And uh, so she shoved me into the interview and I got a place in the course. And did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was it was fabulous. I mean, it was a very practical course those first couple of years. Um kind of focused on sub-editing really more than critical journalism and it was a ragtag bunch of misfits who were on that course you know all taking this kind of alternate path um who all probably went very far in journalism I'm sure journalism and 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 other industries there's, there's a number of you know very People that you would know, very well-known names who have come out with that course. People have done very well. Yeah, that's often the way it goes. And that time in Germany, given the kind of interest that you had in theatre and performance in in nightclubs and what was happening there, it must have been kind of a real eye-opener to go to Germany, was it? Well, it was just enormous fun. Yeah, and it was at that that time, um, I, I, I don't see young people doing this quite as much as during that period you would go away almost every summer that you could to live and work overseas at the time Germany you could get you know you didn't need German to get a job factory job or cleaning job or, or some kind of job like that and it was like 17 Deutschmarks an hour which was a veritable fortune. I think it was about 12 punts an hour and you got paid monthly. So that meant that you you know you lived on nothing during the week. Uh, you ate barely anything. You lived for the weekends. And when you came back to Dublin, you had a nice bank balance for college the following year. And that helped, yeah. yeah. And- the sort of clubbing and going out in those formative uh, years, how much did that influence and shape what you're doing now and what you've been doing for some time? Yeah, enormously. So um, one memorable day, uh, a friend of mine, Carl, knocked to my door and he had a ticket for me 
for a club called Elevator. It was an occasional club that was created by a guy called Niall Sweeney, who is now a very close collaborator, and Tony Walsh. And it was run in the Ormond Multimedia Centre, which is now where the Marson Hotel is. And so it was my first time going to a club like this, you know, that wasn't a suburban club like Club Sarah or a disco like Wesley. And the club was this explosion of not just music and community, but art and technology and performance art and these specially curated moments. And it was deeply inspiring and an absolute eye opener, both in terms of a performative experience and also in terms of a kind of egalitarian value system of the dance floor. And you you ended up then, you did uh, a master's in cultural policy at UCD and it was really then that uh, This Is Pop Baby sort of came about after that. How, How did it come about? So This Is Pop Baby came a little bit after that. So the Masters in UCD was where I found myself to this kind of circuitous route uh, via Ballyfermit and a little bit of publishing in Australia and then back to do this Masters in Cultural Policy. And uh, as part of the Masters, you had to write a thesis. So after much humming and hawing, I decided to write my thesis on the creative and cultural space between underground culture and high art Um, and that really in writing that thesis I really articulated and honed a kind of evolving philosophy around it Um, and after that course I did an internship with Corn Exchange Theatre Company and whilst I was doing that I saw Philly McMahon's first play Danny and Chantal Still Here that was running as part of the Fringe Festival in 2006 and it was uh, a, a play charting a night out of two friends. A really beautiful play. It won a number of awards. But it was set on the dance floor of the Pod nightclub in the old Harcourt building. And it played on the dance floor of the Pod nightclub. Um, the owner, John Reynolds, let Philly <laughs> into the working bar uh, of the Pod nightclub for a 6pm show. And importantly, uh, it drew an audience that would otherwise never darken the doors of a theatre. And for me, this ticked every box of what I wanted theatre to be. So at the time, it's it's very different now, but at the time, um, people, friends of mine who might be very cultured, they might have extensive vinyl collections or go to all the exhibitions in the Irish Museum of Modern Art, they would never think of, dark, you know, darkening the doors of the theatre. There was that divide yeah. between high culture, pop culture, in, in a way that today they're they're much more blended and much more mixed, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I would love to uh, think that This Is Pop Baby had its, played its part in that. Um, and together with um, Philly McMahon, you, you did... A musical in the Abbey. Yeah. The first musical in the Abbey in how long? It was about 20 years, the first new musical in the Abbey and uh, with Wayne Jordan and, and Raymond Scannell as well. Um, so that was a long, it was called Alice in Thunderland. It was a, a, a number of years in gestation and then the Abbey picked it up, put it on the main stage 
and in aesthetic, in content, in tone, in form, um, it really was a, 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 a kind of radically different thing for the ad- Abbey to do. And it was very successful. It, bought, it brought 56% new audience members into the Abbey Theatre. And yeah, the entire building was electric during the run. Uh, when it came to putting on these kinds of shows and ideas for these shows, you mentioned that you had gone to Australia uh, mm. earlier and then you decided to come home. What, what did you learn from, from that experience and, and being in somewhere like Australia? Well, actually, it was a, a later period when I lived in Australia uh, uh, for a second time. Uh, and at one point, myself and Philly, uh, Philly was over. We were, we were touring a show with Panty. And we were sitting there in uh, Spiegel. This is Panty Bliss, who Panty Bliss, yeah. Philly has cooperated with. And, and yes, yes, yes. So we were sitting there in um, an Adelaide, in the Adelaide Fringe, in one of the kind of beer gardens that they have there. And we were looking around at all these really su- hugely successful, really popular, uh, really exciting shows that were made specifically for a Spiegel tent context um a spiegel tent is is a kind of decorative tent inspired by spiegel tents of the 1920s a decorative uh round tent really beautiful and ornate and a lot of shows were being made specifically for this context where you could have a drink essentially a form of variety show uh and philly and i looked around at this and we thought hmm What's our Spiegel Tent show? You know, I bet that we can do something here that is just as vibrant and dynamic and and uh, appealing, but be really, really rooted in Irishness. And so that's that's how the idea for a show called Riot came uh, about. Loads of things you've done. You've been closely involved with Electric Picnic mm. over the years. You've done a festival in Singapore, was it? Yeah, yeah. Myself, that was unusual. myself, and my husband did a festival in Singapore called Neon Lights, which would still be going actually if it wasn't for the pandemic. So yeah, that was quite the learning experience. Incredible. When you ask the question there about you know where's our Spiegel tent in Ireland? Mm. When it comes to performance spaces here, the country has more wealth probably than it's ever had. It probably also has more wealthy people than it's ever had, despite the inequalities that are there. And yet there seems to be a real challenge around performance spaces. Yeah, so performance and and wider cultural spaces have been absolutely decimated in the past 10 years. Why do you think that is? Post-recession, they were neglected? Yeah, it's just really poor planning, you know, and people not really putting the value on cultural spaces that they need to. You know, once a space is gone, it's gone. You know, I still I still really get upset at the, at the idea that the Tivoli, which was 90 years old, is now a short-stay apartment block. Um, and then or, you have hotels and things like that being built on what would have been nightclub sites. Yeah, and that stunning building at the top of Harcourt Street that was the epicentre of nightlife, you know, the pod nightclub, tripod, crawdaddy for a number of years is, is I mean, what is it? It's some strange collection of, of businesses now. You have a new show as well, Wake. Mm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so before I talk about Wake, just uh, because I am... Uh, my relationship with UCD c- 
continued uh, to a point where I am now artistic director in residence for their Creative Future Academy out there, which is a really incredible uh, venture that uh, responds, feeds in and and shapes the creative industries and creativity in Ireland. And just this week, uh, we opened a new venue in Dublin, which is an absolute triumph of of a thing to do. Uh, it's called the Trapdoor Theatre and it's the old dram sock space. It's now like a world class. That's something that can be used for all kinds of performances. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's obviously primarily a, a learning and development space, but uh, for students, uh, but there is also deep roots of industry university collaboration so and then you're doing wake at the national stadium yeah yeah so this is our final What's day it about? final day of rehearsals today uh so yeah so the idea for wake came about philly uh went to this event in south by southwest uh, run by a company called Catapult, an Irish company. And it was a wake for failed tech ideas. And so he came back and he goes, you know, there's something in this idea of an Irish wake, which was undergoing and continues to undergo a huge revival. And so we started thinking about the wake as a, as a theatrical form. And formally, it has so much to offer, right? You've got music, you've got storytelling, you've got party pieces, you've got games. Um, it Thematically, you're talking about transformation, you're talking about ritual, um, you're talking about myth and mythology. And, uh, and structurally, uh, you're moving through a night, you know. So there's um, a lot that you can you can yeah, do, and so that's that's coming up shortly in the National Stadium, uh, and that's Wake. Uh, I want to say thank you very much, uh, Jenny Jennings of This Is Pop Baby, uh, for joining us on the program, and the best of luck with all of that.